This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Good morning. Hello. I was going to say it's so nice to see a lot of old faces, but it comes across wrong, doesn't it? You're all aging. Familiar faces, maybe a better, a better phrase. Oh, very good. Good morning. It is uh, really nice to be here again. It feels like home. Still feels like home. Hello to some of you that I haven't met before. My name is Benj. And um, yeah, we, we planted a church a couple of years ago. And um, we were just away this weekend for our lead team retreat, which is like our eldership and board. I thought just to give you a good snapshot of where our church is at, we were, you know, praying and planning for 2023. And there was about eight or nine children in amongst my feet as we were sort of doing strategic planning and fighting over trucks and stuff like that. And so that, I feel like that's where our church is at right now. We planted with a bunch of people in their 20-somethings and then COVID happened and then everyone in COVID had nothing else to do. So they had kids, including us. Um, and so uh, we got lots, lots of little ones running around and uh, lots of growth. We just hired Carmen, who has come on as our CLAM coordinator. Our CLAM is our, our facility that we run as a, a neighborhood center. So that's, that's really exciting. And uh, it's just good to see that the church is coming, coming alive again after COVID. And I know um, it's been a journey for, for all of us, but it's lovely, lovely to see you all here this morning. I am speaking from Acts chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles or your phones, we are in a series called Beyond, which is about the book of Acts and the church being missional and looking beyond. And we're in Acts chapter 6 this morning, which is a story about widows, which is funny because Laura Moya texted me earlier this week and she said, I hear that Johnny is bringing in the widow expert to talk on widows. That obviously means you, right? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm the widow expert now. So welcome to uh, my TED Talk on Widows. Um, I'm not talking on Widows. Oh, man. Acts chapter 6. So a recap up until this point uh, in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. This incredible moment. He'd been around for 40 days since he was resurrected, speaking with his disciples, teaching, doing this, like, just incredible stuff, walking through walls, crazy stuff, eating breakfast, normal stuff. He ascends into heaven. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, which is one of the most significant moments in church history. It's when the church was first planted. Uh, the Holy Spirit came. The church was planted. There was incredible growth. It was like an instant mega church, 3,000 people um, in one day. And then every day since then, people were coming to, know, coming to faith and joining the church. Um, and the church was developing this like very distinct counterculture. They were sharing meals together. They were praying together, meeting in the temple courts, but also in homes. There was Jews and Gentiles coming together, all these different demographics. The church was kind of exploding, and it was huge. It was adding to its number daily. And we get to Acts chapter 6, verse 1, and there is a problem. Read along with me. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. So there was all this growth, but there was discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. 
So the 12 called together a meeting of all the believers. This is like the first members meeting, partners meeting, the AGM. Very first one in history. They are Baptists, apparently. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven men were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. If you're taking notes this morning, my title for my talk is Systems for Mission. Systems for Mission. And so we have this moment in church history where the church has rapidly grown. There is this kind of missional movement. Just tons and tons of people coming to know Jesus. The church is, is big and large, and there is a problem that arises, a tension that arises within the church. And anytime there is like a large period of growth, there's lots of new people, there's lots happening, there are tensions that begin to arise. Things begin to break as things grow. And the problem was that there was this tension between the Greek-speaking believers and the Hebrew-speaking believers, the Greeks and the Jews. And the Greeks are saying, I, I don't know what's happening, but it seems like the Greek widows who we were looking after, if you, if you didn't have a family member and you're a widow, you would die because it's, it was your family that looked after you. And so this early church became a family. It was looking after all these widows who had no one else to look after them. But they felt like the, the Greek widows were being overlooked. Whether that was on purpose, we don't know. It was probably just, you know, just in the mess of all this growth. And so they bring this tension. The problem comes. Um, and, and, and the church actually, wherever you go, always brings up problems and tensions because it's full of people. And the church is one of the places, one of the few places left in society that brings together people that wouldn't normally come together. Young and old, black and white, rich and poor, whatever categories you think, it actually brings people together. We were at our dinner party the other night, which is like our connect groups, and we were at the entrance social club. And I just looked around the table and I was like, there is no way I would sit down at a pub and have dinner with these people other than the fact that we all follow Jesus. And there's something pretty beautiful about that, that the way of Jesus actually brings people together, that we are a family connected by something that in any other circumstance we wouldn't be connected by. It's a pretty beautiful thing, but that obviously comes with its own tensions. And there was this problem in the midst of growth. They were growing. I remember when I first came on staff, 2012, um, I came as the assistant youth pastor to Phil Palace. He liked to call me the assistant to the youth pastor, um, and he would often change my job title, assistant to the youth pastor, instead of assistant youth pastor. That's meant to be funny. You meant to laugh at that. Thank you. And um, our youth, you know our church, Narara, has had a long history of very fruitful youth ministry and continues to this day, which is a beautiful thing. And that season of our youth ministry, when I came on staff, um, 
youth ministry was, was really quite large and lots and lots of unchurched young people, um, people that had never been uh, part of a church before and, and a lot of people from sort of rougher backgrounds and demographics. And so it was awesome. We were just reaching so many people. I remember meeting in the, in the hall back down, down the back there and um, some nights, you know, someone would have a knife and some nights someone would have drugs. And one night we were meeting at Narara Valley High School when we were building... Uh, this building, and some of the students got onto the roof while we were running the program, and a neighbor called the police, and while we were running the youth program, the police came and found these seven young people who were on the roof of, this wouldn't happen today, don't worry about it, this this is just a thing that happened before, on the roof of the school, and we came out, and there were seven young people handcuffed together, uh, and they were getting walked into the paddy wagon. Um, but that's kind of a picture of like where our youth ministry was at. Um, and it was beautiful, but it was messy. And I remember a parent of, um, of a family that was part of our church, had kids in our youth ministry that had grown up in our church, and she wanted to sit down and, and meet with us. And I was like, oh, no, this is not going to go well. Because I could tell that, like, you know, there was, this, there was this unspoken tension in our youth ministry between church kids and non-church kids. And I was kind of of the persuasion that this, this meeting was going to be a, a waste of time. You know, I was like, oh, there's so much good stuff happening. Like, I just couldn't see. I couldn't see that there was, there was a tension, a problem there. And I remember Phil saying to me, no, like we actually have to sit down and we have to listen to this person because this person, this family is in. They're part of, they're deeply part of the way of Jesus. They're committed to our church. And so we have to listen to them. And it's kind of like the same thing that happens within the early church, this tension between two groups of people. And I love that the apostles didn't just dismiss it like I wanted to, but they actually heard, they listened. Um, and because of that conversation we had with that parent, we actually changed a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm so glad that, I, I, that Phil convinced me to listen um, because I just wanted to focus on all the good stuff that was happening, all the people that we were reaching, but I realized that we were not actually discipling the people that we had. We were not actually helping the young people that had, been, had grown up in our church actually follow, follow Jesus in a, in a deep and meaningful way. And, and you know, we began to shift and accommodate and focus more on those. And actually those young people that were part of our church growing up, actually became some of the key leaders into the future that helped continue to grow the movement. And I love that when the apostles were presented with this problem, they didn't just dismiss it, but they listened and they cared. So we have this kind of missional growth, this problem that arises between two groups of people, and then there is a solution. The solution. And the solution was actually structure and system. And when we think about mission and reaching out and caring for our neighborhoods and seeing people come to know Jesus, we don't often think about structure and system. It's very cool at the moment to talk about like organic ministry. Like we just want to be organic. And I, I'm, I sort of sympathize with that as well. Like, and, and I think what people mean when they say that, when they want church or life to be organic, is we don't want too much structure, we don't want too much red tape, we just want relationship to happen naturally, and things to grow naturally. But you talk to anyone who farms, in, like organic vegetables, and they will tell you that to create organic vegetables takes much more work, much more intentionality, much more structure than just spraying it with pesticide. And there is 
a, a falsity to the idea that you can have an organic church without having structure. It's kind of like a trellis and a vine. In order for uh, you know, a vineyard to be fruitful, you need both a trellis and a vine. You need the vine because you know, without the vine, there's no organic matter and there's no fruit. But without the trellis, the grapes grow on the ground and there's no space for growth. And anything that does grow, it, it rots or gets eaten straight away. And so there is a tension here when we are thinking about church, we're thinking about mission, we're thinking about looking out beyond, we're thinking about evangelism, that actually we need both. We need the organic and we need the structure. We have to have wisdom around how to implement that. But we need both. Our, our culture has increasingly become anti-institution, anti-structure. We want to like deconstruct and tear down anything that like looks like centralization. Um, but there is something beautiful about this mix, the right mix of trellis and vine, organic and structure. I think that's what the apostles did so well here. This is the way they did it. This is the solution they brought to the tension that was arising because of growth. They put in place two things. Number one, the, the, the first solution to this issue was they put first things first. They put first things first. They said, they, they said this, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the Spirit and wisdom and give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and in teaching. This, is, this passage is, is pretty incredible to me. So you have apostles, which we would sort of generally equate, you know, to, to pastors or, or leaders of spiritual organizations, spiritual leaders. And they're saying, we need to free up our time to pray and to spend time teaching Scripture. And I think about that, and I look at, like, my job. I'm a pastor. And I look at all the things that I do in the week. And I'm like, probably the majority of my time is not spent in prayer or teaching Scripture. And I wonder if there's a problem with that. I, I think... Not only was there just like one leader of this organization, but there was 12 of them. Like surely between 12 of you, you can share around some tasks, you know, share around some, some admin. But no, they were so committed to what God was doing, to putting first things first, prayer and scripture. They said, actually, no, we need to spend all our time. And I think we can read a passage like this and say, well, they're just thinking that like what they're doing is more important than running the food program or feeding people. I don't think that's what they're saying at all. In fact, later on in Galatians, uh, Galatians, where is it? Somewhere. I don't have it written down. Paul is speaking and um, he's telling the story of how he was sent out as an apostle from Jerusalem. And it says the one thing that they told Paul to do was not neglect the poor. That's the one thing. The one piece of advice when they sent Paul out to go and be apostle to the Gentiles is don't neglect the poor. So I think the, the, the apostles and the leaders were not anti-helping the poor. Actually, they, 
valued it so much that they decided that they needed seven leaders, seven men full of the Spirit, seven people full of wisdom and love and grace to actually lead this thing. Anything good requires leadership. They put first things first. Mel and I went to Fiji a couple of years ago, and I remember walking into Fiji Customs, and this big Fijian man was checking my, my visa, and on my visa it says occupation, it says pastor. And he looks at me up and down, and he says, he says you're not a pastor. And it got, got me deep because sometimes I think I'm not a pastor. <laughs> I'm like, what, how, what do you know that I don't know? He's like, you don't look like a pastor. And I said, thank you? But it actually gets to a deep question of mine. What really is a pastor? What should a pastor be? What should a pastor do? Should a pastor be a CEO? Should a pastor be an event manager, a community organizer, administrator, service manager, do the rosters? What should a pastor be, a leader of a not-for-profit? You know, sometimes, particularly as a church planter, I feel more like a small business owner than I do a pastor sometimes, or more like an entrepreneur or a CFO or a marketer or an event coordinator. But spiritual leaders, particularly now more than ever, I think, must be given the space to be spiritual leaders. There were 12 apostles and they still needed to devote their whole attention to prayer and scripture. A pastor is a, is a, a guide for the soul's journey towards God. A guide for the community's journey towards God. We must allow pastors to be pastor. Allowing our leaders to devote themselves to prayer and scripture kind of really goes against the world's way of doing things. It seems counterintuitive. It's subversive. It seems like a bad investment of time and resource, but we are a counterculture. We don't operate the way the world does. And trust me, you want your leaders to be committed to prayer. You want your leaders to be in right standing with Jesus for their soul to be in a place of unhurried health. You want your leaders to be listening to the Holy Spirit's prompting, to be praying for you, to be waging war in the spiritual. If I, as a pastor, am not first ministering to God, what right do I have to stand here and minister to you? It goes for any of our spiritual leaders. And trust me, you want your leaders committed to Scripture, to be soaked in the story of Scripture, to be soaked in the themes of new creation and salvation and forgiveness and restoration, to be able to stand with authority and teach the ways of Jesus, to, to help the living Word become alive and active and living in our everyday lives. But in order for that to happen, we have to fight for it. Because those things, prayer and scripture, in a leader's calendar, quickly can get pushed out because of the urgent stuff, the admin, the things that come in. We have to fight and guard for this. This is a whole church thing that we must continue to release our leaders. This is a good word, particularly for Travis coming in. That part of our job together is to help him, to help our pastors guide that space, to be spiritual leaders, not just to lead an organization, but to be spiritual leaders in 
the whole sense of the word. And here's the thing. The church is not a social justice organization. The church is not just here to feed the poor. I was at a, a fundraiser dinner the other night at, uh, for Christians Against Poverty. And we're sitting in a, in a living room. There was an event live streamed to us. And one of the questions they asked was, what is the church for? What is the church for? I wonder how you'd answer that question. What's the church for? And as you'd imagine, there are a number of different answers as we went around the room. Some people said it's about community and doing life together. Some people said it's about reaching out and helping the poor or reaching the lost. And we get to Vince Bradbury, who some of you would know. And he just sits there quietly for a minute and he says, the church is a vehicle for the Holy Spirit. A vehicle for the Holy Spirit. I was like, wow. All right, Vince, that's good. You know, you could, you could rename the book of Acts to the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The story is the unfolding work of the Spirit through the church. The church is this vehicle, this new movement of the Spirit at work, of bringing new creation, of bringing forgiveness and salvation and restoration. The church, first and foremost, is about following the way of Jesus, seeing, being a vehicle for the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, here's the thing. The church is not primarily a social justice organization. The church is a kingdom outpost an outpost of an alternate kingdom, of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. The church is a kingdom outpost, devoted to the presence of God, following the way of Jesus. And we know if we are to be a kingdom outpost, if we are to be an alternate reality, community representation of the kingdom of heaven, another reality, another world, another way, we know that in the kingdom of heaven, there is no poor. So we feed the poor. We know that there is no lonely, so we welcome in those who are lonely and those who are widows. We know that the world is the kingdom of heaven. There is no fighting, so we bring peace. And so in that sense, yes, we are a social justice organization, but we're not primarily a social justice organization. We are a kingdom organization. The the church has brought forward more social change and culture change than any other movement in history. So much of what you would call social justice or, or human rights now is linked back to the church. Human rights is a, primarily a, a, a Judeo-Christian way of thinking, that everyone is made in the image of God. It doesn't matter who they are, their mental faculty, how old or young, born or not. The church is a kingdom outpost. Yuval Harari, who wrote a, he's a staunch atheist, he wrote a book called Sapiens, which, um, an incredible book, but he makes the point in that book that without Christianity, you don't get human rights. He says human rights are a Christian myth, and a lot of people want human rights now, but they they want the kingdom of God. They want the, the human rights and the ethic, but they don't want the king. They want the blessing, but not the obedience. It's the early church that invented the foster care system. People in the Greek world would leave out unwanted babies to be weathered, and the church would come and take them in and raise them as their own. It's the church that pushed for education for all. 
The early church became these little learning communities, learning the way of Jesus, where not just kind of elite men could come and learn, but women and children and slaves and, and the poor. It was the first place where all these people could come together to learn. It's Christians that founded the first hospitals, Gregory of Nyssa, Basil. It's Christians that led the way in the abolition of slavery. But we are not primarily a social justice organization. We are a kingdom outpost. And that is why, this is exactly why putting the first things first, coming back to prayer and scripture, is so important. Because it's so easy for us to get off track and do the things, maybe do the same stuff, continue to go belong and continue to help at Donison Street or whatever it is. But if that becomes the key reason we exist, we will fall apart. Because we are primarily a kingdom outpost, not a social justice organization. And the way that we stay a kingdom outpost is by putting first things first. That's why our spiritual leaders must be allowed to be spiritual leaders. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, when you're putting on a, like a button-up shirt and you get the first button wrong and then you get to the bottom and you're like, what's going on here? If you, put, if, if you get the first button right, all the other ones click into place, right? And it's like that. When we put the first thing first, everything else clicks into place. Put our first things first. Number one, this is the first solution they brought to this tension that was within the church, this missional problem. They put first things first. They allowed their leaders to be spiritual leaders. And the second thing is people playing their part. First things first, number two, people playing their part. It can be so easy to read this story, like I was saying before, and say that, think that the apostles didn't care about feeding the widows. They didn't care about the food bank. The food bank is not an unholy task, not by a long shot. Caring for those in need was so important that it needed leadership. Anything good that's going to happen requires leadership. Galatians 2.10 was that verse I was talking about before where the apostles said their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. In order for anything to be done well, it requires leadership. What does leadership look like? Well, it says three things in here. It says to be a leader, you are to be respected by people, full of the Holy Spirit, and wise. That's a good little list of things, what we want our leaders to be, right? doesn't matter where you lead. Respected by people full of the Holy Spirit, and wise. We could do with more of that. You need all three. No good to be wise, but everyone hates you because of the way you treat them. No good to be liked by anyone, everyone, but you are, have no power because you're not filled with the Spirit. So there was this missional growth, there was this tension, and the solution was putting first things first and everyone playing their part. And the result we see from this scripture passage is, it says, so that so the church continued to rapidly grow and multiply. You have a part to play. You have a part to play. Henry Nguyen says, we cannot bring good news on our own. We cannot be a kingdom outpost on our own. It's not just about pastors. It's not just about the person that's at the head of the church organization or whatever it is. It's about all of us playing our parts. 
This is not just for pastors. This is not just for super Christians. In fact, all the seven men that they appointed to lead this ministry of feeding the poor, they're all Greek names. And I kind of like that because this new movement, you think about it, this new movement that was coming out of the Jewish faith, all these apostles had this like Jewish heritage, right? All the leaders, they'd come from the right, the right place. They'd been steeped in like Jewish scripture and tradition and they'd been going to synagogue and they'd been, you know, um, practicing Passover and the feasts of Israel. They'd been like steeped in all this beautiful tradition, and there's this new movement coming out, and you would kind of think that in order to carry about this new, steward this new movement, you would want people that are founded in the old movement, that know, that know the stories, that know the Torah. And yet what they do is they bring seven Greek believers, seven, seven, seven people who don't have the right heritage. And I love that, that your background, where you've come from, does not negate what God wants to do in you and through you. We all have a part to play in the church reaching beyond. You have a part to play. Because when you play your part, it frees other people to play their part. And when you don't play your part, it means that other people have to play your part as well as playing their part. And if we are to be an effective church in today's cultural climate, right when everyone's saying church in the West is declining, the Christianity is over, it actually requires for us to stand and be a, a remnant, a creative minority, that we would be faithful to the ways of Jesus and steward what he wants to do in the world. It's in moments like this in history time and time again where this new revival and renewal sparked. I think the current cultural climate is perfect for God to do a new thing, but we need you. We need to put our first things first, that we are first and foremost devoted to Jesus. We are a spiritual organization. We are a spiritual organism. We are a kingdom outpost. And then it requires each of us to play our own part, whatever that looks like for you. The Amazon River, and I'm about to close. The Amazon River um, goes out into the Atlantic Ocean. The Amazon River is, is fresh water. The Atlantic Ocean is salty water. And there is so much pressure coming from the, the, the Amazon River that if you go out into the Atlantic Ocean and you measure, they, they've done this, they've taken measurements of the water and they've seen how far out it's still fresh into the Atlantic Ocean. And they've gone one kilometer out, well, it's still fresh. They've gone 20 kilometers out, which is the distance that we traveled this morning to get here from Long Jetty, 20 kilometers. Took us 25 minutes, still fresh. 87 kilometers out, that's the, the distance from here to Sydney CBD, still fresh. They've measured out as far as 240 kilometers, which from here, actually, Tari. Uh, people going to Bulang, it's 238 kilometers from, from Narara. So from here to Tari and a little bit further, the water's still fresh. I love that idea coming back to Vince's idea that we are a vehicle of the Holy Spirit, that we are to be a kingdom outpost, a conduit of what the Spirit is doing in our world, bringing fresh water. 
bringing freshness and life. But every river needs structure. Every river needs banks that hold in this flow of river, that hold in this conduit of what God is doing. And I think this passage this morning is reminding us and teaching us that those two banks, the banks of the river, is making sure the, the right thing is in the right place, putting first things first, and everyone playing their part. That we get to be a conduit of what the Spirit is doing in our world, the conduit of the church moving beyond itself, continuing to leak out, spurt out the Holy Spirit into our world, the, the, the movement of renewal and revival and restoration and resurrection. We've got to put first things first, and we've got to play our part. So I'd love for you just to take a moment, just to close your eyes, and just to bring yourself to this moment and take a few breaths to be here, right here and right now. I just want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come. God, you would speak to us about one of those two things. About where we maybe haven't put first things first. Or maybe you would speak to us about what our part to play is. What the, what the thing is that you are calling us to. As we continue to grow into a church that moves beyond. That is a conduit to your presence. That is a kingdom outpost. I'll just give you just a few moments of silence. Just to speak. Holy Spirit, come. Would you prompt us where we need to be prompted? Jesus, we devote ourselves again to your kingship. God, for those of us that have been following you for a long time, when we come back again, we reorient ourselves to you. We want to put first things first again. God, I pray for those of us in this room that you know, we're still just testing this thing out. We might have been around for a while or we're new, we're curious. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you confirm in us the goodness of your kingdom? God, I pray that there would be those among us this morning that put our faith in you in a real sense for the first time this morning. For the first time, we put first things first. Holy Spirit, we want to be a church that's in. That's in on your kingdom. That's in on your ways. That's in on what you're doing in the world. That's in on what you're doing in our own souls, in our families, in our homes, in our streets, where we work. We can't do this without you. We don't want to do this without you. And so we say we put first things first. Would you draw us again back to prayer and back, back to scripture? God, that we would be devoted to your presence, 
would be devoted to spending time with you, learning from you, learning your ways. And God, I pray that you would help each of us to play our part. You have gifted us, you have shaped us to play a role in your church, in what you're doing. Thank you that we have a part to play, that we get to be involved in what you're doing in the world. And so I pray that you would speak really clearly. You would give us promptings about what our part to play is, what the next step for us is. God, I pray against timidity, being scared to step up or, or put your hat in the ring. God, I pray for people that feel disqualified, that feel like they don't have the right background, they don't have the right track record. I pray against that lie from the enemy. God, I pray for just a sense of comfort and doing the same thing. God, would you agitate us? Would you help us take our next step towards you? That we may be playing a part in the thing you're doing in our world, the thing you're doing in Narara, in this valley, on the central coast, in Australia. Help us to be a conduit for your presence, that we might bring fresh water wherever we go, not just here, but far out, that it would reach further and further into our world. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're yet to do. In your name, amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.